Amazon's Rings of Power reached 25 million members in its first weekend, but does it justify $58 million per episode? Viewers are loving the fasts, and YouTube, LG, and Samsung are leaning in. Listen in to learn more. Welcome to this week's edition of Inside the Stream. This is Will Richmond from Video News, and Colin Dixon from Endscreen Media joins us in this short Labor Day shortened week. Hey, Colin, how is everything going? It's great, Will. I'm just about to hop on a plane to head out to my renewed annual pilgrimage to IBC in Amsterdam. That's taking place this coming weekend. Uh, so while you are all resting, I will be pounding the pounding the halls, going from meeting to meeting, and I'm moderating a bunch of panels so i hope i see some of our listeners there while i'm there and if you do see me please do stop me and say hi i'd love to hear where you listen to the podcast that would be great awesome well have a great trip over there Colin. we'll look forward next week to hearing some of your debriefing what the, the highlights of your panels were and also what you saw there that looked interesting yeah yeah um i can tell you one thing that looks really interesting i'm moderating a session at 1.15 um, on Sunday with Grace Note and Liberty Global about how Liberty Global switched out their metadata, which is, I mean, I don't, that's a pretty big thing for an operator to do, um, but they needed to do it to create a whole bunch of advanced features. So that should be a really interesting discussion. I'll include, a, if you're going to IBC, I'll include a link uh, when I post this, so you can click on that and sign up and come to that on Sunday at 1.15. So, but anyway, that looks like a really interesting session, but moderating some other sessions too, so it should be a busy time. But uh, onward with our stories this week, we're just going to talk about a couple of stories this week, since it's a short week, and we're going to start with, well, I suppose the biggest thing in streaming over the weekend was the new Lord of the Rings series, right? It was, although I think we both have to sheepishly admit that neither of us have watched it yet, at least. Um, I am not a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I take it that you are not either, Colin. Not huge. I mean, I enjoy the I enjoyed the first three movies, but uh, no, not a huge fan. I wasn't waiting with bated breath for the for the release of the new series. Yeah, I was um, a bigger Game of Thrones fan and now House of the Dragon fan. But anyway, let's um, let's talk a little bit about Lord of the Rings. By far the most expensive TV show ever made, as we all know, rumored to be $58 million per episode. And Amazon did something that I don't think it has done previously, which is it, it actually announced the number of viewers um, in the first 24 hours of, uh, of, the, of the premiere episode. And it said that it had 25 million global viewers on the first day, it said that it broke all previous records, uh, the biggest premiere in prime video history, and that it had, was available in 240 countries and territories worldwide. So that's obviously a, a number from Amazon, has not been verified by any other third party, third party service. So we sort of have to take it for what it's worth. Um, but you and I were just talking before we started recording, we were trying to put the 25 million in context a little bit. We know that there are about 20, I'm sorry, 200 million Prime members. So it would be a little bit more than 10% of Prime members 
who would have watched that first episode of The Rings of Power. Um, we were trying to compare it to other things. House of the Dragon got 10 million viewers in its first day, according to HBO. Um, the Super Bowl, of course, gets about 100 million viewers. And uh, like a typical Monday night, uh, Sunday night or Monday night football game, I think we'll get somewhere around 10 million, maybe to 15 million. So uh, when you kind of look at those numbers, it seems like um, the Rings of Power got off to a pretty strong start. What do you think? Yeah, I think it sounds like it did pretty well. Um, I, I don't know, though, with this series, I just can't get over the eye-popping mount that it cost. $715 million for this series. $58 million an episode. And uh, I think I think the first three movies, the first three Lord of the Rings movies, cost something less than $200 million or around $200 million to make. So, I mean, I, I know that that was 10 odd, 10 odd years ago, but uh, that's that's a lot of money for a show, Will. Uh, I, I didn't watch it. My son is a big fan, and he did watch it. And he was, um, I, would, I would cast him as being lukewarm. Um, he says he will continue to watch it, but you'd think with that amount of money that, that you would get people really excited, right? But I haven't heard much buzz, and I certainly didn't hear much buzz from him. Right, and of course, the other <laughs> slight problem here with um, the Rings of Power is that apparently Amazon, there, there are no reviews if you look at um, the Rings of Power on Prime Video. Um, there are zero reviews. It says, be the first to review this. And I guess um, Amazon has suffered what is known as review bombing. And, um, you know, these are uh, kind of fake or bot-driven type of reviews. So they shut them off entirely. They created a 72-hour waiting period. This was a few months ago. And uh, yet we're now about three or four days past the premiere. And there are still no reviews. So it's hard to tell what fans are really thinking about this because Amazon is not allowing any reviews to be posted. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no social buzz translates into, well, kind of disaster, right? So hopefully we'll get some, we'll get some data from others who are monitoring open social media, not, not Amazon social media. But, you know, this got me thinking that, you know, uh, content providers, particularly the big, the big four or five SVOD providers are pouring a tremendous amount of money into these shows, Will. And it got me wondering about how necessary it was to spend that amount of money. So I, I, it, it actually reminded me of some data that I saw from uh, Hub Research. Actually, it was Bruce Leishman, our friend Bruce Leishman. He said that... Um, I think we talked about this on the podcast before, but just to remind everybody, 83% of U.S. households of at least one of the big three, that's uh, that's Netflix, Amazon Prime, and Hulu, and 43% of adults in U.S. Um, stream from a top service daily and have access to 3.6 of the top 11 services. So what that tells you is that uh, the services are pretty deeply penetrated. But here's the rub. Ampere analysis says that 30% of U.S. streaming subscribers switch services in any two months. Um, and, and, and as an example, they give um, Apple TV Plus is a top choice for those leaving Netflix um, and, and Prime Video and Hulu. 
So that's where people go when they, they typically cancel a switch to Apple TV+. Plus. But the, the, what this data tells me, Will, is that really big titles like the Rings of Power uh, and, of course, HBO's uh, House of Dragon, that they are really good tools for attracting viewers, but I'm not sure they're really good tools for keeping them. I think that, that what that does is that stimulates people to do exactly what Ampower Analysis says, and that is cancel one service and move to another. And I don't know, I, how do you make back $58 million an episode when people drop in for a month, pay you 10 bucks, and then leave again? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you make money that way. Well, Amazon, of course, is, you know, as we've talked about many times, the exception here because people really primarily subscribe for the um, for the prime delivery benefit. And then everything else is kind of gravy, including the prime video. So they they're a little less susceptible to what you're talking about. But um, I get your larger point. I think, um, you know, this was an issue or the downside rather of all episodes being released at, you know, one drop. And I think we've seen some pulling back on that, actually, even including Netflix, which, of course, pioneered the, um, you know, the process, the experience of doing that. Uh, but, you know, House of the Dragon is only being released one at a time. Even um, even the Rings of Power is only being released one at a time. Um, Stranger Things, I think, was only released one episode at a time in the latter seasons. So, um, you know, I think it's it's a definitely an issue that they recognize they've sort of ramped that back um, but the bet I think has always been that the big shows would pull in the subscribers and then they would find other shows that they wanted to watch and stick around and keep their subscriptions but that may not be the case there people may be sort of maxing out on their number of subscriptions and hopping around as you say from one to the next when they're done watching the series that they're primarily interested in yeah, yeah. So I, I think it's it's probably true that, you know, to some extent now, these big shows are, are stealing from other other services to get people to come and watch them. Um, and, and actually just I think I think what Netflix did was they released Stranger Things in two tranches. There was like the first five shows and then the last three or something like that. They released them that way. Uh, and by the way, I'm just uh, I've just gotten around to watching it and I'm enjoying the heck out of it really really well produced shows uh but uh, you know so the other thing about this is do does that mean that everybody has to produce these big shows and uh to, to, to attract continue to attract new subscribers and i don't think it does i think i think what we're seeing is we're seeing growth of smaller providers is continuing and what's happening now is people have got a couple or three general streaming services like Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime. And they're still adding, I th I've seen some new hub data which shows people are still adding smaller services. And the smaller services are really leaning into that. Uh, they sort of recognize that they don't need to spend the big budget. And what they're doing is they're putting money into stuff that they know uh, is going to work for their existing subscribers. I was I was listening to Diederik Santa, who's chief creative officer at Brickbox, and he says um, our audiences enjoy the authenticity and reliability of British programming, and the shows we invest in tend to reflect that rather than requiring mega budget world building. 
So, you know, I, th- I think there's, you don't have to produce these super big shows to continue to attract audiences. What you have to do is you have to attract, when you're a niche service, you have to do shows that attract your core audiences. So I don't think it's absolute that you have to produce the big shows, but uh, boy, they're fun when they, when they do put them out. They give us lots of fodder for discussion and uh, I know I I know that there was uh, there's been a lot of buzz about She-Hulk on Disney Plus. Uh, I watched one episode of that and was not that impressed, but I think other people are really enjoying it. So the big titles I think are still going to be required by the big services. Do you think that we will ever see a show with the budget of The Rings of Power? Or do you think that represents the absolute peak? Well, I, I got to believe, Will, that we're at some sort of peak in peak TV. I know we've talked about every year they produce more, and but we are seeing definitely some retrenchment here. So I think that, you know, so Amazon is a unique animal, right? They don't only get to reap the benefits of, the, of such a big investment in terms of video subscribers. They get to reap the benefits in uh, at the the virtual till when people spend in the Amazon store and that's the big game that's the big game for them so they get to monetize that content in different ways uh, but I mean for for other guys I think I we definitely know that uh, Netflix is spending a little bit more judiciously these days um, I got to believe that Disney plus is also being extremely careful about how it invests its money so Maybe we have reached a sort of peak. Maybe we won't be seeing $60 million an episode for a show for a few years. I don't know. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. It's got to be a big franchise and a very wealthy um, uh, provider such as Amazon if that record is going to be broken. I, I would say nothing nothing in the very near future, that's for sure. No, no, I wouldn't have expected that either. Um, but, uh, you know, one thing that continues to do really well is uh, fasts will and I'd, I'd, I'd love us to transition and talk a little bit about those because there's been quite a lot of movements over the last week with the fast services and um, this is this sort of all kicked off for me when Hub Entertainment Research uh, and actually John Geigengack will be joining us in a couple of weeks to talk about some new new research so you should uh, if you're a regular podcast listener make sure you tune in for that but I was looking at some hub data that was really talking about how U.S. consumers, U.S. streamers are embracing ad-supported viewing. And they, they said in their latest survey that 55% of consumers said that they used free streaming services with ads in Q2 2022. Remarkably, that's how 5%, 5% from 50% in Q1 uh, and 46% in Q4. So that's like 9% increase in just a half a year, which is pretty remarkable. And um, many consumers, are, they say many consumers are also watching their subscribed services with ads, 42% subscribe to Hulu, Paramount Plus, Peacock, HBO Max or Discovery Plus with ads. So I think this is um, really shows that this rapid expansion of the fast market and ads, ad streaming is continuing really quickly. Um, the interesting thing in the hub data will is that it turns out that the that the 
satisfaction that people get from the services is not that different whether they're watching ads or they're not watching ads. They're all in the sort of 80% range of people who really say that they either enjoy it or really enjoy the service, really see value in the service. So the ads aren't making that much of an impact on people's enjoyment level. I have a feeling that ad loads has something to do with that, although there was other data that suggested even those with fairly heavy ad loads were still fairly um, uh, enjoyed by their, their viewers. Um, and, and the interesting thing here is that people are really, really leaving, leaning into that. And one that really caught my eye was YouTube. So I don't know if you know this, but YouTube has about 1,500 movies uh, available and you can watch those directly on YouTube. Some, I'm sure some of you, some of our listeners have found those. Well, now they're leaning into AVOD. They've licensed 4,000 TV episodes uh, from shows like Hell's Kitchen, Andromeda, Heartland. And these are four season, full seasons of these shows. And Will... If you're into TV streaming, you should be paying a lot of attention here because even without those shows, YouTube is, is this is YouTube, not YouTube TV. YouTube is huge on television. Um, the company claims that Nielsen data shows that 135 million Americans watched YouTube on a connected TV in December 2021. And I was looking at Nielsen's The Gauge and they say that 7.3% of all TV time in July 2022, this is all TV time, not just streaming time, was delivered by YouTube. It's second only to Netflix, which is 8%. So, you know, it sounds like YouTube now is coming for providers like uh, like Tubi, right? It's it, And the, the Roku channel, it wants those eyeballs and it already has them there, so all he has to do is keep them. So I'd, I'd be very worried if I'm in those companies, right? Well, YouTube has been very vocal over the past um, probably two years or maybe three years about how popular it has become to watch YouTube on connected TVs. And they've continued to publish those numbers, as you just mentioned, about how many uh, Americans. I don't think they've done an international number or global number yet, but I, but I, but um, but they've certainly been promoting the amount of viewership here in the U.S. And so, um, you know, to the extent that the content quality continues to improve, as you're saying, they're licensing movies and TV shows in addition, of course, to all the amazing creator content that's available on YouTube. Um, it's only natural that uh, viewers are going to migrate over. Um, and I think that's what we see in the hub research that you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things they're doing is they're giving, they're giving this content big splash pages, bits of the big, big focused um, uh, landing pages when you click on them. And uh, so, so, yeah, you, I guess if you're into that stuff, you should check it out. I think they could be very, very big. And that sent me to thinking about what's going on with the TV, the smart TV provided services that are built into your televisions. And of course, most smart TVs now have these built into their televisions. Um, and they've, they've not been standing still either. So uh, LG, for example, LG, uh, they've added... They just in the last week they've added five new fast channels. Um, they've added one of my favorites, which is 
the, the sci-fi channel Dust from Gun, Gunpowder and Sky, but they've also added a, a nature channel called Love Nature. And I, I didn't even know this was a thing, but ACL Cornhole TV from Triple B Media, people playing that bean-tossing game into, <laughs> into cornholes. There's a channel devoted to that now. And they say they have over 350 million excuse me, 350 linear channels, rather. Uh, and they're also adding a bunch of uh, limited-time movies this month. They've got Jim Carrey hits The Mask and Yes Man, and they've got more coming up, like The Rookie, Million Dollar Baby, and Going the Distance. And they've also added an NFT art store, so you can buy uh, digital art on, this, on their TVs, uh, with NFTs, and this is something that, of course, their biggest rival, Samsung TV, did back at CES. Uh, so, so LG is leaning in. Samsung is leaving, leaning in. They've they've revamped their Samsung TV Plus logo to be more, they say, more world friendly. Uh, they say they have get this, sixteen hundred channels across twenty four countries, two hundred and twenty of which are in the US. And they're also working very closely with folks like the BBC to bring pretty unique channels. So they just added another channel. They now have five BBC channels, uh, this one based on Top Gear. Uh, so, so there's that. They're also working with A&E. They have a new lifestyle channel, um, li- lifestyle channel called Homemade Nation. And they plan to add a whole bunch. Uh, they Actually, they plan to double the number of on-demand content. So they're really leaning in. They're obviously looking at the data from their viewers and they're looking for data from Hub showing how much people are loving this. Uh, but i got to tell you, well, they're not making a huge impression on the streaming business in, in the US, at least. I was looking at some Comscore CTV data. And it was basically showing the total hours streamed in March. And neither LG or Samsung built-in fast services uh, showed up in this list of the top of the top services. And you, you would think that they're built into the TVs. They come with natural advantages. You'd think they'd be able to lead people almost directly into those services. But I guess people are not finding them as much as they're finding services like Pluto TV. Pluto TV is is pr- doing pretty well, according to the numbers. So is Tubi. Uh, but not Samsung, LG cha- uh, Samsung TV Plus or LG channels, at least not. They're not peeking into the sort of top 20 of the streaming apps that are available to us, and uh, which is a bit of a surprise, bearing in mind they're built in. Well, no doubt that's... Uh, that's the reason behind why they're investing, as you say, in all the new content that is coming to both those um, both those brands. So we'll have to see whether that data changes, um, that Comscore data gets updated maybe here in Q3 or Q4 uh, to reflect the greater amount of content that's now available. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe it's down to the promotion of those channels. I know Vizio does a really great job on their TVs. Every time I turn their TV on, uh, it, it's it's prompting me to go look at some of the free content that's available in their watch watch free services, and that is maybe something that Samsung and LG need to look at doing too, which make it a bit bit further forward in the interface so people uh, are, are encouraged to sort of go in there and watch the channels more uh, 
they should take more advantage, I think. Fair enough. Well, um, when you see them at IBC, you'll have to make those suggestions. <laughs> I certainly will. I said, I, actually, I don't have I don't have anything set up with Samsung, but uh, uh, or LG, but I certainly will be seeing a bunch of other providers, and I will be making that suggestion. So. Fair enough. Well, Colin, have a great trip to IBC. We'll look forward to getting debriefed next week. And uh, thanks everybody for listening on this week's version of Inside the Screen. Inside the Stream is a production of InScreen Media and Video News, all rights reserved.